Welcome to the Mortis and Tenon Magazine podcast, where we're celebrating historic furniture making. This is episode number 51. I'm Mike Guptograph. And I'm Joshua Klein. And today, and for the next little bit, we're going to be doing something different. Different. A different is good. Uh, we are starting a, uh, a mini podcast series uh, in which we're going to be unpacking um, David Pye's classic book, The Nature and Art of Workmanship. We're going to be going chapter by chapter. Uh, this book, uh, as you may know if you've followed us for any period of time, is is really important to us. Um, it's it's sort of one of the books on which the the principles and philosophy of M and T you know was built. Um, it's also required reading for our students in the uh, M and T apprenticeship program. So uh, a lot of uh, we've had a lot of interaction with students about this book. We've done a lot of thinking about it, um, but this book is is the standard reference, basically, the standard reference for clear-headed thinking about um, why we would want to make things by hand or why a person would want to seek to make things in their shop as opposed to, uh, you know, sourcing it from the store, something yeah. like that. I mean, that's the thing. It is a standard. Like, you know, when you read these books that are put out about, what, you know, why we make things and, you know, with our hands, a lot of them are referring to pie because he is the standard. Yeah. And it's because this book, really changed the whole discussion that people were having. It's so powerful and it's so compelling in the way it's framed um, that it's really had a lot of influence. But like anything that was so powerful and compelling, it was influential, but there's also a lot of pushback then. Right. Because it was so winsome, there are you know a good handful of critics saying, you know, Pi's full of it. He doesn't know what he's talking about. So, you know, as we've been interacting with these people, uh, over the years, whether it's you know students are in our apprenticeship program or other woodworkers or uh, people who are interested in you know other sorts of craft philosophy um, things, we found that the it tends to be that the critics of pie, the people who are most critical of pie, either haven't ever read the book themselves. Right. That's the most common in my experience, or they kind of skimmed it a little bit, or you know they haven't really read it carefully. Um, or the other thing is, you know, we've been recommending this book to so many people. We've also heard that, you know, we've heard from people that they've tried to pick up the book and take a take, give it a fair shot, but they just kind of got bogged down. They got confused. They didn't follow the argument, and so they kind of struggled to to get what Pi was uh, after. So um, I, basically, I think it's 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 feeding into it's part of the, a lot of confusion about what craftsmanship is. This is. Uh, kind of the fundamental question that Pi is looking at, the nature and art of workmanship, uh, craftsmanship. And so a lot of people today think of it like, uh, they just think of craftsmanship as a synonym for making. And we've had a podcast episode where we talked about the definition of craftsmanship and how we see it. So we've talked about this uh, elsewhere, but this this idea is this flattening of craftsmanship just means making. Right. It's just being productive. But this way of thinking about uh, craftsmanship and making as the same thing, it just sort of flattens everything out. And it, it's just, frankly, it's just not really well thought out. You know, it's it's sort of saying, um, everything's the same, what's the difference, who cares anyways, right? But here's the thing, if everything productive is craft, then what that means, if that's your definition is that there's nothing substantively different between Michelangelo carving a statue mm -hmm. and you know me 
sending an auto-generated text message. If the definition of craft is human productivity, someone sending, creating, then there's no way to distinguish uh, between these kinds of things. Craft clearly does not mean making. Clearly some sort of distinction has to happen. And so I think a lot of people get lost in this kind of thing. Yeah, um, I I totally think so too. You know, um, if you look at the production of a factory, of course, with full of machines and and jigs and things, to, all designed by the, you know the human mind, um, that factory is producing things which are categorically different than what the woodworker in the shop is producing. And so, what Pi is looking at is like why and how. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what is the difference there and why are we as human beings more compelled towards the one than the other? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you've written about Pi. You yeah. unpacked him a little bit back in um, issue seven, right? Yeah, issue seven, I wrote a, 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 an article that was basically trying to summarize Pi's main argument in the book. Because I think a lot of people they've heard of, if they've heard of Pi, what they know of is workmanship of risk, workmanship of certainty, and they stop there. Right. They just think that's what the whole thing is, is just making this distinction and then right. that's it. Yep. No, actually, there's a question. There are, there are kind of a series of questions that he's actually trying to answer in this book. And that's just the, the framework for answering the question. The question about the value of making, you know, why do we, why do we value things that were made by hand? How can that be? And therefore, what is the distinction we have to be thinking about? So rather than fall into this sort of um, like a naively nostalgic fixation on some golden time period where, you know, true craftsmanship really happened and not, it's not, can't happen now today, rather than fall for that trap, Pi gets right to the heart of it. And he says, no, we need to draw some meaningful distinctions so we don't get lost in romanticism or just stay in our naivete. Yeah. And so our goal with uh, this series, I we, we foresee it going through the next uh, few weeks. We're going to be putting out, you know, maybe multiples of this podcast per week as we go through this book and discuss it. We want to go through um, chapter by chapter just to, to help articulate the argument that Pi is making and help make it clear. Um, It'll be useful for us as we go through this in depth again. It's been mm-hmm. a while, yeah. I think, since we both just really poured over this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've been through it so many times, but it's been a while now. It's yeah. been a few years that I've picked it up and read from so the beginning. So it, it's good for us to dig back in. And we also think um, that people listening will, uh, you all will will enjoy this and benefit from it. And, and just, you know, it'll help us all at the same time get our brains around what, what this guy was talking about. Um, as I said, there are a few books that have been more influential uh, for for M and T yeah. and for our thinking about why we make things and why it's important. Right. Um, so yeah, just uh, stay tuned. You can read along with us as we do this. Uh, we do. In stop. fact, that's preferable. Yeah, that's actually going to help if you have the book right in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a copy of it, uh, we do sell it in our store, and you can get it elsewhere online if you want to um, order it. We will put a um, a link to the product in our store uh, in the show notes. So this week, we are going to be looking at just the introduction, nothing beyond the introduction, because it's actually very valuable. Um, So the introduction um, was written by John Kelsey, who was uh, editor of Fine Woodworking back in its early days, and he's done a lot with different woodworking publications. He's also a woodworker himself. Um, 
and he he knew Pi personally, which is always good if you're writing a foreword for someone's book. Um, but he had some um, some good things to say and and kind of a good summary of the value of Pi's argument for the foreword. So I got my my dog-eared copy here in front yeah, of me. Yeah, yours is pretty beat up. Yeah, it's 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 pretty destroyed at this point. I have so many different uh, iterations of annotation and highlighting different color highlighters all over the place and notes and so it's been good to you know pick this up again read through this and go oh yeah i remember oh that's funny how that resonated with me yeah and that was I, important back then yeah and how it, <laughs> it's interesting too to read through it and say yeah this is where i got so many of you know the ideas of my own thinking I, it was all rooted here in pi so um this uh this book as we as mike mentioned uh we have assigned it to our uh, apprentices in the apprenticeship program. They all have to read through this book. And part of, uh, we've assigned Bill Copperthwaite's uh, A Handmade Life and this book. Mm-hmm. And each week they have to not write an essay, but just have a few sentences of reflection. Just tell us what you thought about yeah. the chapter. And really, if you wrote one sentence, you, that's that's sufficient. Yeah. But so many people wrote these long, long, you know, mini essays yeah. reflecting on on you know whether it was Copperthwaite or this book, David Pye's book, and so we've had you know a ton of people we've been able to interact with you know hundred whatever people it's been so far yeah. interacting with this book and these ideas and some people say oh man that really clicked I really liked this part and then some people saying I don't buy it this doesn't yeah. work in this argument and where I liked him for a while but now I'm lost so we've had so many. Uh, so many opportunities to interact with uh, woodworkers uh, from, you know, people who are super experienced and people kind of relatively new at woodworking, interacting with these ideas, and it's great because you should read this book at the bench. Yeah, you know, I think and that's what's so great about about David Pye is he was a maker. He wasn't just an academic. He also was a woodworker, and so he's writing from a woodworking perspective, writing from a, a maker's perspective, and I think. Uh, so that's why so many makers have said, yeah, he's really helpfully distinguished what is different about the different ways of working in the shop. Yeah. One of the things about the book is that um, there are throughout, there are um, pictures of, especially early on in the introduction, pictures of Pai's work, a lot of his uh, fluted bowls and carvings and some you know, mind-boggling work that he was able yeah. to do. He's an amazing... Uh, carver and woodworker, um, but then throughout the book, there there are other pictures and photos and things to to begin to illustrate his points. There are pictures of things as simple as you know pairs of pliers and you know metal cans and things like that. And mm-hmm. um, so it is, it's a book that you don't get bogged down in the the density of the print on the page. Lots of wide margins. They're great for taking mm-hmm. notes. And then the, the pictures really bring the arguments out and give them some life. Um, so it's helpful. It's, it's a good book to go through. Uh, ironically and completely coincidentally, uh, this book is 144 pages long, which is also the length of a copy of Mortis and Tenon. That's why we're doing it. That's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's, that's why it's that and long. And isn't, isn't Bill Copperthwaite's I book think the same is, way? Yeah. I don't know Handmade what that is. Life. I think it's because pages. all the signatures in eight-page increments, yeah. and it's just sort of, you have so much to it say. It has and... to be that long. No longer, <laughs> no shorter. Yeah. So, all right, let's dive into this, this forward. Uh, John Kelsey's forward, thinking about just setting up the reader, saying, hey, you're going to dive into this book. Here's why it's important. Here's mm-hmm. basically what he's doing. Uh, here's the the map of the course. He starts off by saying, 
you know, this, this uh, the phrase, the workmanship of risk and workmanship of certainty, which if you've listened to the podcast, you can right now quote it. I'm sure you've heard, you know what the distinction is, but he just starts off by saying um, this uh, workmanship of risk where someone's working by hand, the tool is guided by hand. And this idea of workmanship of certainty is that there's some sort of external guiding of the tool happening, right. whether it's built into the tool, like a plow plane's fence or the depth of an iron and a hand plane, that kind of certainty, or, you know, some sort of, you know, uh, a big fence set up for uh, an electric router to run along, you know, that that's certainty that it's ensuring that. So he's talking about that there's a, that there are ways of working uh, that are, are risky and, and ways that are certain, certain, but he doesn't say they're two different kinds right. of it's, operations. It's all one or the other. Yeah, he's basically saying that there is risk and certainty mm-hmm. involved in every operation. Yep. And that is a very important thing to observe. It is. And you know, and we'll get into this later on in the book, but it also has nothing to do with power source. Yes. Like it can be like an incredibly risky operation to freehand run uh, like the arm of a chair through a bandsaw. Like that is an incredibly skilled, risky operation. Risky, I'm talking not for life and limb, but for the outcome. Mm-hmm. Like your skill is what makes that turn out well or what ruins it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what Pi's talking about. He's talking about this risk of ruining it because of inattentiveness or uh, an inability to guide your hand as precisely as you need to. So um, it has nothing to do with power source. And also... Uh, we've talked about this before uh, when we've been thinking about craftsmanship, but um, Kelsey really helpfully highlights what uh, is sort of under the surface of what Pi is trying to explain because he gives all these examples of this risk and certainty that is present in different type, types of work. And even later on in the book, he uses he describes how an ads is even a partially jigged tool mm-hmm. because of its flat back, right? right? And the bevel is sort of a jig. So what Kelsey's drawing out of that is he's saying, so we have to understand Pi not to be saying that there are different types of tools, but that there's this, there is a spectrum, as he puts it, between rough or free work, rather, and regulated work, mm. meaning work that is uh, guided only by the artisan's hand on one end of this huge spectrum. And at the other end of the spectrum, there's something that's highly regulated, highly controlled, set up, jigged, fenced work. And it's that everything exists somewhere between these two poles. Right. And so uh, the um, as John Kelsey describes it, and, and to, to me, this is kind of the metaphor for um, Pi's work. Uh, Kelsey talks about uh, Pi's fluting engine. Now, if you don't know what this thing is, uh, it's fluting engine fluting for making engines, making flutes. So, um, back in issue ten, Jeff Miller wrote an article for M and T, in which he reproduced Pi's fluting engine and started wrapping his mind around the crazy way that this thing works. So, if you can picture a device with a scorp-like tool, like a, a scooping tool for for cutting. Um, flutes, right? If you can picture a scorp or like a, a small travisher or something like that for cutting a hollowed groove. And that's mounted on an arm, which you control by you pull and it moves the arm and takes it's a like scoop. like a lever. Yep. Yeah. And then your workpiece is mounted on a turntable, which you can rotate and manipulate. 
And now your job is to make a regular carved pattern with this device by manipulating the depth, the angle of the arm. Um, you can you know, manipulate the depth of cut. You can manipulate your workpiece, rotate it, tip it. And mm -hmm. it is just mind-bending um, geometry that goes into this. Right. But the guiding of the cutting of the flutes yep. is not jigged. Right. Right. So, the, so that they're basically what Kelsey describes this as, he describes this, this this exercise of using this machine, he describes it as the didactic point of the exercise. So he talks about it's a it's a living embodiment. This device is a living embodiment of the philosophy he's laying out in this book. It's this interplay, this sort of you know, to use a poetic you know picture, this dance between right. regulated work and free work. So it's a perfectly round piece, and it's. It has aspects of the the cutting and the shaping that have been so regulated, and then he says you get up close and you see this delightful diversity. He says, you know, these this irregularity in the spacing and the depth of the flutes. And so, uh, what Pi talks about so much, he was trained as an architect, and he talks about you know d design and where it falls short. That you can stand way back and you can see a big uh, a scene, you know, a scene, a landscape or a building. And you can say nicely designed. I like that. Mm -hmm. And then you walk up to the front step and you see more of the place. And then you reach for the doorknob. And he said, all of a sudden design is much less effective because it's the workman who's really right. involved. So he said, yeah. right where you begin to interact with the thing in the most intimate way, design doesn't have much to do for you. That's yeah. in the workman's hands. Yeah. And so that, that delightful diversity, we'll see... As we go through this book, diversity is the center of what Pi cares about. Mm -hmm. And what we m mean by diversity is the subtle irregularities, the, the diversity of texture that you're, you're always seeing different shapes and, and forms to it, that it's not just sterile and regular. Right. Yeah. If, if uh, anyone has read you know, the most popular uh, philosophy book of all time, which is Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Robert Persig talks about this as well. He talks about quality and dynamic quality and things like that. Um, so this is this is an important idea in philosophy, right? This idea of diversity. And we, you know, we also have um, talked about William Hogarth and how he was trying way back in the 18th century. He was writing a book for the the everyday person to try and understand beauty mm -hmm. and he came to these different values of beauty and one of them was was this diversity it yep. was different textures and different angles and curves and subtleties are what add up to make something beautiful mm -hmm. um, as opposed to just a blank and as you said a blank and sterile textureless wall or something like that yeah kelsey in this introduction here he says uh, i'll read this one little a uh, few sentences Kelsey said, Pi believed passionately that diversity in the made environment is the tonic our weary souls require. And one of the main ways we can get it is by valuing and encouraging free workmanship. Yeah. And so he it's, it's interesting because it's not a it's not Pi's not saying, in Kelsey's words, he's not saying, you know, everyone in all history is better off doing it by hand. He's particularly highlighting um, in our age right now, in the, the machine-made environment, yep. that handwork is kind of a tonic 
that it's it's a it's a stabilizing a balancing effect or as uh pie puts it later it's the salt and pepper of our work right it gives it some flavor mm-hmm. it's not sterile yeah and so um kelsey talks about pie uh making pie made these little like lathe turned boxes these really beautiful uh with carved lids fluted lids some of the lid decoration is pretty unreal to look yeah, at super intricate yeah very very cool um, he made them, though, he turned them on a foot-powered lathe. And uh, he said, uh, Pi said it wasn't because he was like stuck with the past and said, oh, foot power is the only way. But he said, actually, for this operation, it is kind of quicker. And so that's why I did it that way. Yep. Uh, so he wasn't stuck to the past as a romantic. He, he just utilized those operations by hand for, or by foot, by leg in this instance, Mm -hmm. that he found to be most efficient for the process he wanted to do. You know, he wanted a creative process and running the lathe on leg power was just quicker and easier for him. Yeah, and I mean, to me, when when I look at Pai's work of his, you know, the the bowls and the boxes, he turned boxes he made, and I read his book, to me it's, and actually Jeff talked about this in his article about the fluting engine, that when Jeff was using the, using the fluting engine, he saw that, oh, I get it. What Pi was doing is he was just playing with this certainty irregularity thing, hmm. the freeness of the artisan and the controls of the, the fence. The whole philosophy is about playing around with that and letting that, that dance sort of happen. So you see the, uh, the facets up close and you see the, the beautiful... Uh, quality of regularity uh, playing off one another yep so then uh kelsey gets into some of pi's background which which pi himself does not get into uh it, it helps to kind of frame who this guy is and why he thinks the way he does um joshua you mentioned he's an architect he was a um spent <laughs> a, a bit of time in the uh military right yeah in the navy he was an architect mm-hmm. uh, for the navy and then he taught at the Royal College of Art in London um, for 26 years. Yeah. And he was a professor of furniture design. And he also was designing um, furniture for industrial production, which I think is so interesting because a lot of people, they misunderstand pie to be some sort of like, you know, hand tool only romantic, mm-hmm. right? No, no. He was designing furniture for industrial production. Yeah. He really is fascinated with all sorts of tools and technologies, and he's he loves playing with them. And so this is not an argument. This book is not an argument for only using hand tools. Right. It's actually saying, uh, we need a little more clarity about yeah. why we would choose certain things. Right. Uh, another thing about Pi that Kelsey does not mention here, because I believe it, it may have taken place after this forward was written, but uh, Pi was also an OBE, which is... Um, it's the most excellent order of the British Empire. Wow, it's that a sounds step serious. below knighthood. So, <laughs> I mean, I guess if he had tried a little harder, he might have made knight. But wow, yeah, it's um, that's a pretty awesome honor uh, to be given to this guy. So yeah, that to say, um, it's not that he is. Um, you know, some people have uh, accused him of either you know not knowing what he's all about or whatever. But clearly, this is a guy who knows what he's all about yeah, and um, has been greatly appreciated for what he has brought to this discussion. Yeah, actually, Kelsey even, uh, I think, very accurately describes him that he says that he has a sharp and lively intelligence, hmm. that he's able to formulate these ideas 
that um, that they have eluded other intellectuals. And so the thing about Pi is that I wouldn't say the the book is dense. That's not the right description, but I would say it's condensed. Mm. That it's when you read it, it's not hard to read, but it is full. It is yeah. pregnant prose. There's no fluff in here. No fluff. And when he's saying something, it's super careful, super precise. Mm-hmm. And if so you can just read through and go, oh yeah, that's interesting. But if you read it really slow, you'll go, wow, there's actually way more that he's he's uh, explaining here than a surface read will tell you. Yeah, people uh, don't often write with as much care with their words these days. Um, these are not, this is not a book full of disposable words. No. Uh, he has thought about his, uh, his word selection and his argument very carefully, which is why um, Kelsey... Uh, describes this book. He says, though first published in 1968, Pi's analysis of workmanship remains the only useful framework we have. Yep. Um, you, you, you might disagree with his argument. You might uh, dispose of it. However, there's nothing else to go back to when you're framing this conversation. The only thing you're left with is saying, craft just means making. Right. Yeah. You, you say, okay, I throw out all definitions and therefore you're kind of left standing on nothing. So Pi's work still today is the only framework for an argument. Yep. The alternative though, actually, so I said that's the only thing you're left with, but the other one is just flat out romanticism. It's just mm. arts and crafts philosophy, which he even has an entire chapter in yep. this book dedicated to uh, an assault on an arts and crafts philosophy. Yeah. So lest you think that he's just John Ruskin, you know, reincarnated. Yeah. No, he actually takes direct aim at John Ruskin and says, this whole romantic idealization of the past and how they've laid this all out, I want to blow that out of the water. So right. it's, I think it's jarring to a lot of people who have these assumptions about well, the David Pye thing. Yeah, that's And then they read the book people. and they're like, wait, he's like, arguing with John Ruskin? Yeah. I thought he was just, yeah, he had no patience for uh, a Ruskinian vision of, of craftsmanship. Yep. Um, it, it's fun to read as we uh, wrap up this forward. Um, so Kelsey first met Pi in 1978, and uh, that was back in the the very early days, I think was 76, the first year for fine woodworking. I think I it was 76. don't recall. But anyway, that Close was that, right yeah. in sort of the beginning of the the craft revival that that mm-hmm. we've seen that we are all you know reaping the benefits of still today people yeah. have started making things making things by hand there are lots of woodworking schools popping up you can go and buy new wooden bodied hand planes made by people who know what they're doing yeah. they're beautiful and functional like this was all unheard of you know back in the mid 70s and mm-hmm. now we're in this really fruitful time for handcraft um, so Kelsey first met Pi in 78 when it was underway. And he asked Pi then, again, if he still believed that craftsmanship, that workmanship, hand workmanship, was still in danger of extinction. And Pi at that point was getting a little more optimistic, you know. But he believed, just like James Krenov did, that it would only really live on in the hands of amateurs, in the hands of those who... Uh, we're just passionate about it and did it as hobbyists, which I'm willing to guess that most of you listening fall into that camp. You know, you work mm-hmm. wood by hand because you love it and you do it. Amateur. Yeah. For the love of. For the love of something. Right. That's what, that's yeah. what the word means. Um, but then 
Um, what Pi was surprised about later on in his life, as, as we rolled into the, the 80s and in, even into the 90s, he died in the early 90s, he was surprised by the successes of professional makers who were able to take this workmanship of risk and apply it to their work and make a good living at it. Yeah, he was amazing. He was very happy to see that. So um, it's kind of cool to see, uh, as Kelsey writes this forward, how their relationship and the evolution of Pi's ideas in this whole craft revival kind of came about um, to this point where even Pi was not thinking it was possible for you know a, a number of makers to be making a living doing this kind of work. But, yeah. So. Uh, <clears throat> We really, really would encourage you to uh, pull out your copy of this book or order a copy quick, um, because we're going to be going through this chapter by chapter, uh, talking about this and kind of unpacking it, laying it out so that you can uh, get your arms around it and say, hmm, okay, I guess I now understand what he's arguing. And then maybe you have the new way of uh, framing this discussion that's going to, you know, Revolutionize. overthrow all yeah. of the the, the pie followers. Yeah. Um, but at least you need to understand what he's actually arguing for. Yeah. So if you enjoyed this, uh, we encourage you to be following on uh, SoundCloud and Stitcher. Um, we thank you for listening to this podcast. Uh, we look forward to uh, catching up with chapter one next time. <laughs>